Hey, it's Sarah. Two quick reminders before we get started. First, make sure to check out the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny. This week, Mina's going to tackle the biggest NFL storylines like Dak's injury, changes in Atlanta, her Seahawks being 5-0, and and the New York teams being a combined 0-10. Ouch. Charles McDonald of the New York Daily News is going to join her. You can find the Mina Kime show wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you're invited to the 11th annual ESPNW Women and Sports Summit taking place October 20th to 21st. It's hosted by me and Sage Steele. And the virtual summit has the best lineup I think we've ever had. Rock star women across sports, business, culture, big, huge names, conversations you're not going to want to miss. And it's totally free. So register for free at ESPNWSummit.com. It's October 20th and 21st. Hope to see you there. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. Hello there, I'm Renee Montgomery, and my dilemma is I want more than one vice presidential debate. Okay, so on the one hand, yes, you know, I'm with you. I want more facts for undecided voters, more policy points and plans made clear. I want, you know, more faces pulled and flies posted on heads. On the other hand, I feel like this election has lasted for years. And I'm also worried that even after the election is over, it's going to be weeks before we actually know the result. And are we going to trust it? And what's going to happen during those weeks? Is someone going to prematurely claim that they've won? Is there going to be a fight over the legitimacy of the voting? Uh, Voter intimidation, lost ballots, hanging chads? I mean, I'm going insane here thinking about it. So I'm kind of ready to be done. You know, I I think if people still need those extra debates and things, um, good then, have them. I just want everyone to vote. And you can go to whenweallvote.org if you haven't registered and made a plan to vote. And I hope everyone gets themselves counted in the census. You can go to 2020census.gov to make sure you do that. Super important to get resources for where you live and all sorts of other stuff. Um, And I just hope when we're on the other side of whatever this hell is, we are less divided and less likely to attack each other or believe conspiracy theories or refuse to listen. Um, it's just been a lot. And I've been doing this happiness challenge through a friend's yoga studio uh, leading up to the election. And, and I'll probably extend it beyond because it will be necessary. But it's like yoga and Pilates and sending gratitude letters to people who've made a difference in your life and watching a sunset and supporting local business, doing random acts of kindness, all sorts of things to kind of try to provide some peace during the day, get some endorphins pumping, stay sane during all this. So I recommend that other people find self-care too. And interestingly, former guest of the pod, Dr. Lori Santos, the professor of happiness at Yale. If you didn't hear that one, I highly recommend going back and finding it. Uh, She just did an interview with the New York Times about how self-care always sounds like, you know, making yourself a bubble bath or doing something, but real happiness actually comes from helping others. The data actually suggests that the right way to treat yourself is to do nice things for other people. We get more out of being open and social and other oriented than just spending money or time on ourselves. So maybe consider that in the next couple of weeks as we all cling with a death grip to everything in our lives as the world flies by. Uh, the commission has spoken. My guest this week is Renee Montgomery. Uh, We started out respecting each other and liking each other from afar, and we ended up best friends. It's a truly delightful journey. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, She's a professional basketball player. She's on the Atlanta Dream of the WNBA, won a national championship with the UConn Huskies back in 2009. She's won two WNBA championships when she was with the Lynx in 2015 and 2017. Uh, She's been all over the place media-wise recently, including Gen Z and Me, a show she does with her son and nephew uh, that's coming back October 31st. uh, You can find it on Instagram at Gen Z and Me TV. Uh, She's been so impressive of late as she's finding her voice and become uh, more visible across media that people are legitimately saying she's going to run for president one day. So I really recommend uh, you give this a listen. We talk a lot about her choosing to opt out of the WNBA season, how she spent months out of the wobble using her voice, uh, creating her foundation, the work she's doing on voting, helping HBCUs, and encouraging conversation around civil unrest, racial issues, police reform, um, what it's been like to watch the co-owner of her team, Kelly Leffler slash Loeffler, we still haven't figured that out, be sort of against her own team that she owns during the wobble and during her her um, political run, 
And then we get giggly about her fiance and how they met and shooting her shot and all that stuff. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. That's what she said. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Super happy to have Renee Montgomery on the podcast. She's been on uh, Spain and Fitz and I think Spain and Company before it became Spain and Fitz again. And uh, just such a powerful and and smart and thoughtful voice on so many issues and a badass basketball player. And I I wanted to have her on to talk about all of those things um, in a sort of longer format to figure out how she became uh, the badass woman that she is. So Renee, thanks for being on. Let's let's start at the the way back. Uh, You grew up with a mother who was a professor. Tell me more about just your childhood and what your parents did and where you grew up? Uh, yeah, so my childhood, like things that were fun for us was learning things ahead of time. So I used to always think it was cool that I would go to school knowing already what the teacher was going to teach me. Um, they actually tried to skip me a grade and my parents was like, no, 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 no. We're going to keep her where she's at, which thank you, parentals. They didn't know that I was going to go on to play basketball. So <laughs> um, I would say growing up in West Virginia, though, uh, different, <laughs> different than what people can expect. Um, in a sense of it's just a different culture. It's slower. It's country and it's three percent black. So now living here in Atlanta, obviously, I'm submerged in a black culture and I'm a black excellence. The who's who are black people here. So that was just a completely different shift from from what I knew before. And thank you for having me, Sarah. Yeah, this is, this is nice. Uh, what did your dad do for a living or what does he do? Yeah, he worked at Bayer. So he was uh, like a chemical engineer there. So he and and I would say what he does, what I think he does best is like he can just pretty much build anything. So he built cars from scratch. He's one of those guys that have a beautiful mind. So he just built my niece's bunk bed from wood. (laughs) Like just that kind of guy. So those are like a lot of lost arts in some ways. Actually, being handy, yes. like knowing how to build and do things, is is like it's easier to just order something. Uh, so so exactly. I love I love those. Like when we first moved into our house, and my husband fixed like an electrical outlet. I was like, okay, <laughs> like wow, it wasn't even impressive. That? He like watched a YouTube video. I was like, oh, okay, uh, that's impressive. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so you obviously grew up in an intellectual household, um, and that informed a desire to learn, which is you know. Uh, very clearly something that's a through line uh, for you. What about the sports part of things? How much of a part of the household was that? Huge. Um, My sister was a cheerleader who also went on to be the cheerleading coach for West Virginia State University. My oldest sister was a track athlete, hurdles, high jump. Uh, She might still hold records in West Virginia. Uh, And my dad went and he's a football player. He played football in college at West Virginia State University where he met my mom. Um, so, yeah, I would say that sports is big in our household as well. Yeah, a little but bit. <laughs> I could do, but I, I don't know. It's weird because I don't feel like that. I feel like I'm like the dummy of the family because my sister, one of my sisters is a doctor. So I, I don't really feel that I hold up the intellectual end of the family, but I'm trying. OK, you're at least holding up the sports end for now. <laughs> um, I got that. Uh, so uh, you mentioned three percent black in in. Is that the state or the area you lived in? That's the state. It's a state. So the area you grew up in, what kind of uh, diversity was there for you at school and, and in the spaces that you were in? Oh, I'd say less than that. You know, I grew up in St. Albans, West Virginia. It's about 10, 15 minutes out from the capital of Charleston. And I I was the only black girl in my elementary for sure. Junior high, there was one other black guy. Hi, Isaiah. Um, he, he was, the, he was the other. Um, but, you know, so growing up for me, I was used to being the only one, you know, I was being, I was the only one And when it came to Black History Month, I hated being the only one just because Black History Month doesn't necessarily celebrate black excellence. It celebrates like history. And as we know, the history for black people isn't great. So Mm. I would say I grew up kind of having to be comfortable in my own skin just because I was the only one in that skin. Yeah. Well, and it's sort of fascinating how everybody can recognize that, but especially at a young age, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're equipped to know to like reach out a hand or be welcoming. Um, I was the opposite. Um, My school, I think, had maybe four or five black students in it. And it was like Mr. T's daughter, 
Bill Cartwright's oh, wow. son, right? It was, I grew up in a <laughs> suburb of Chicago. And so all the bears and like bulls players would live in that suburb oh. and then their kids. So it was like, um, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, it was, it was not something that impeded upon my ability to thrive and to feel welcome, but it didn't really occur to me to even think, oh, that they might feel, uh, you know, alone or in any way, like separate from, from everything that's going on. And and when you get older, you of course realize that that's a massive part of the, that experience of, of growing up and feeling like you belong and seeing representation. Um, yeah, so you're definitely. a badass basketball player. You're, you know, crushing it and you end up at UConn and I was doing some research for this pod and I of course knew that you were a badass at UConn but somehow your name does not come up as much as it should for you started 35 of 37 games as a freshman and you were the Big East Conference freshman of the year um you left and you were top 10 in almost all the UConn categories like games (laughs) played points field goals three points free throws assists steals like you dominated. You were, you know, a senior when when you guys went undefeated, thirty nine and zero, and won a national championship. And for some reason, Renee Montgomery <laughs> is not one of those names that when we talk UConn excellence, it's like the very top echelon. Why do you think that is? UConn is full of rock stars. That's the that's, that's part what of it. You, kind of, you know, it's kind of what you choose in a sense of. Even when I went to UConn, I knew that there were some big shoes that that I was going to be walking into as far as point guards that went to UConn. That's a category within itself. You know, like. Point guards that went to UConn, what did they go on to do or what did they do at UConn? Man, there's a long list. And so I'm part of that list. Uh, I would say it just it, it depends on who you talk to, but it, it's hard because when when you have a Sue Bird and, and you have different players who she just won the championship in the WBA, she's won four gold medals. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> I would talk about her a lot if I was talking <laughs> UConn basketball. So I usually never get offended. I just like being a part of the conversation because yeah. if you are a part of that conversation, that means that they're talking about you have to be doing a certain level of good to be in that conversation. Right, to stand out there. What was your feeling about going there? I know you said you already knew when you got there you were going to be uh, in a pretty remarkable group of people. Did you have any desire to be big fish in a small pond instead of small fish in a big pond? Did you have any desire to go somewhere that yeah. didn't have the reputation that a Gino Oriama team does? That was the question. You know, a lot of people in West Virginia, they got really upset with me because I didn't choose West Virginia University. And so that became a thing. Um, but I just felt like coming from West Virginia, you know, I felt blessed to be a McDonald's All-American because we just don't have the press coverage in West Virginia that maybe other cities like a New York or California did. So I wanted to go somewhere where people like lived, eat and breathe basketball. And 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 no one can argue that UConn is that, you know, and, and as opposed to anywhere else. So for me, it was about going somewhere that that people would like support us wholeheartedly because just coming from West Virginia, it's more of a West Virginia. I mean, it's more of a football place than basketball. And so I was craving something like where it would be a big deal. So yeah, I was looking for that, that, that big pond. I was looking to, to make, to make that. Move. And then it makes you step up once you get there when you're playing alongside Maya Moore and Tina Charles and folks like that. Uh, we'll get to Maya Moore later and and how that relationship may have influenced uh, later later choices that you made. But um, so you get picked fourth overall in the WNBA draft by the Lynx, and then sort of bounced around a bit before coming back to the Lynx. Can you talk about sort of those early couple years in the league and how you felt about not sticking in one place and being able to establish yourself? Yeah, it was interesting because when I got drafted to Minnesota, I didn't think I was even going to play my rookie year there. Like I had already kind of known that there was some rumblings that Connecticut was coming for me. You know, obviously having played at UConn, it makes a lot of sense that the Connecticut team would want to keep me in UConn. So whenever all that was going on, I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. So what's the deal? And the deal basically didn't go through my first year. So the deal ended up going through my second year when there were different pieces, as people know, different pieces and made the deal. And so Tina Charles became available. I played with her at UConn. And so she became a part of the deal where we were giving, we meaning Connecticut at that time, we were giving Minnesota a, a Lindsay Whalen and people should know who that is because she's yeah. an Olympian, but long story short. She did short, all right there. She did all right. <laughs> and so basically Minnesota was going to get their Minnesota University girl, Lindsay Whalen, and I was going to mm-hmm. go back to Connecticut. And so that kind of caused a bounce around because I don't feel like I bounced around a lot. I feel like I was in 
Connecticut for five years. And then then I started moving around. Um, but it was that first year that I just uh, I kind of knew Coach Tebow and Connecticut were coming and it just didn't come. It didn't happen fast enough. But like I, I, I it was a learning experience because I went from UConn where we went undefeated my senior year. And then I went to Minnesota and we didn't even make the playoffs. So that was rough. Yeah, <laughs> that was hard. Yeah. So you get to the sun, you become an all-star, then you become a sixth woman of the year. Talk about that because you have a, a re remarkable season that puts you in that echelon of all-star. And then now you're coming off the bench, but instead of, you know, feeling sorry for yourself, you become sixth woman of the year. How difficult was that? Cause again, you're also coming from UConn, which means best of the country. And now you're a bench player. Yeah, that was rough. And again, <laughs> I was a younger player. And so it, it's like, they tell you all the time your gift is also your curse so everybody knows that I'm kind of like the team player at all costs so my my coach at the time which was coach Tebow he was like man we're just missing this one thing to make us like a really really good team and I'm like what is that and he's like we don't have no firepower off the bench and I'm like oh, okay yeah so what are we going to do about that and he was like I want you to come off the bench and I'm like what? Like, I'm like, wait, 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 what? And again, as you mentioned, I had literally just came off of a great season. And so this is, this is not like I was an all-star four years ago. And I literally just became an all-star for the first time the year before. And then my coach is asking me to come off the bench. So yeah, that was a doozy. Yeah. Um, but, but honestly, it just, it, it kind of, for a while there, I was bitter. I'm not going to lie. I was like, well, why me? Like, okay, now I'm getting penalized because I'm a good team player. You know, like that's what I was thinking in my mind. But in hindsight, I think that, you know, he made me have so many different aspects to my career because all the coaches were looking at that. So when I came off first game of the season, the year following an all-star campaign and I'm coming off the bench and I'm still like being the same me, meaning same positivity, same team attitude, not acting salty on the bench. Like it, it built my stock in the WBA, honestly. Oh it, and then I became six woman. And that really, I think, gave me a whole different avenue And because people looked at me now as not just having to be a starting point bar guard, but somebody that could play one or two coming off the bench and be an instant spark. So yeah. it was tough, but it actually helped me in the long run. We're so used to thinking of success as this, like, what's that parabola? Is that the word I'm looking for? Whatever that is, that line that just Way goes smart for me, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> line that goes, you know, low to high. Uh, we've been yeah. talking about it a lot recently as a, a curve that's not really curving because we're not flattening it. It's still just going straight up. But we think of success as that. And for you, in some ways, you would imagine going from all-star to the bench as going down. But because of the way you approach that role, um, you turned it into a positive. So you're, you're with the sun and then you get traded to the storm, then back to the oh, link. That's a doozy. Now that was a doozy. <laughs> so what happened oh, there? Yeah. Okay. So that one was really interesting. So in, in Connecticut, it was, it was a lot going on in a sense of most of my teammates had left. So the team that we were killing with um, coach Tebow got fired uh, they got rid of a lot of my teammates and it was just not, it, it wasn't the best of situations for me. So when I was got traded to Seattle, I was actually really excited just for a fresh start, a new team. Um, it's all the way across the country. So I was nervous, but boy, was that short lived because I was there. I don't even know if that's a record, but I was there for <laughs> half of the season when I actually found out I was getting traded. My family was there visiting me. They just so happened to be there at oh, that time wow. visiting me. Um, but the, the kicker was that I actually had salmonella poisoning at that time. So I wasn't even practicing with my team. So I was oh. in the house. So when I found out I was traded, somebody came knocking on my apartment door and they're like, Hey, um, coach wants to see you. And I'm like, no, coach knows I can't practice. Like I'm super sick. And they're like, no, no, no. You need to like come into the office. So when I, like when you hear that as an athlete, everybody knows like, oh, bring your playbook. Gosh. Yeah. We've all yeah. seen it on hard bring knocks out, over and everything. over. Oh, exactly. My key card doesn't work. I can't get in. Oh, you, have, you fire me. Man. Uh -oh. All of the above. Yeah. So I'm like sick as a dog. And, and I, I like, well, I can't drive. So they, they took me there. Long story short, I found out I was traded. And so then my, my head coach from Minnesota calls me. I was like, Hey, did you hear the news? We're so excited. We need you. And I'm like, yeah, coach Reeve, you know, um, I'm a little sick right now. And she yeah. was like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Get your butt on the plane. Yeah, we'll see you in a couple of days. Yeah. And so at that time though, I didn't know it was salmonella poisoning. Like we had to do a different test. And then I later found out that that was what was wrong. So now I'm like kind of in the history books as playing a WNBA game with salmonella poisoning, getting traded during it all. Yeah. Uh, it was a whole doozy. But that year, as you guys yeah. know, I ended up winning a championship. So it's like that. What's that P word you tried to teach me today earlier? Parabola. 
Yeah, I was nothing like that. My my story has nothing to do with that word because boy did I hit so many bumps, but like people don't even know during that championship run, you know, my coaches found out afterwards like like salmonella poisoning wrecks your inside. So I had like no conditioning. Like I could I, like as an athlete, my shape was gone because my whole diaphragm yeah. was gone. So I was going to practice in the morning and running on the treadmill at night trying to just build back up my my stamina. So my coaches and them, like when they found all of that out, you know, it changed like their whole again, it changed people's whole perspective of me as a person just because yeah. they didn't know that like I was pretty much that that beat up and out of shape. So just for, you know, the kids out there listening and also for all of us here learning together, a parabola is not what I was thinking of. A parabola is a <laughs> it's a a curve where any point is an equal distance from a fixed point and a fixed line. Anyway, I, I, I was thinking parabola in my head, which is unrelated to just the line graph. I was thinking of, you know, a line graph with the X and the Y yeah. axis and you're going up. Anyway, but the I point is we all learned. Everybody knew today. what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Everybody Everyone knew. Pictured in their head, some, except yes. for people who know what a parabola is. And those people were like, wait, so people screw start high and then they dip really low and go back up again? Uh, oh, anyway, God. that's why I don't get into... <laughs> Math, science, whatever the hell we would uh, uh, call any That's of that. Great. Um, so yeah, you end up with the links, and now you're back mm -hmm. with Lindsay Whalen, who was a part of the trade uh, that had originally yes. sent you away. Uh, the God in Minnesota and in the WNBA, that team yes. is just legendary, a dynasty. So you win two titles there. How would you talk about your role with that team, and and did you feel like you know you settled into a role that you liked there? Yeah. So, you know, that role, that's why I talk about that coach Tebow. You transitioned me perfectly, Sarah. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's why that coach Tebow thing was so important though, because Minnesota might not have really wanted me if they thought, uh, she's a starting point guard. How would she feel about being a backup point guard to Lindsay Whalen? We don't want to cause any problems. Again, they were already a dynasty in the making because they had already won two championships in, in the four years since before I got there. So just that experience alone with Connecticut, where I had to come off the bench and people saw that I'm still going to have a good attitude and everything, I became the backup point guard. And I say that with a certain level of pride because all the time I've been backing up like Olympians, a Kara mm -hmm. Lawson, I backed up Sue Bird and I backed up Lindsey Whalen. So I don't really look at it as a slight to be a backup point guard. I was a part of a dynasty. That's, yeah. that's kind of how I look at it. And, and, and you played for, a lot when she was out. So yeah. instead, of, instead of them saying this team dropped off because Whalen was out, it was able to hold up because the backup was quality. Exactly. And me and Lindsay Whalen, like we had this thing, we called ourselves just the one-two punch. So <laughs> sometimes like I would tell her like, yo, I dropped the ball today. Like you killed it. You got your numbers. So we almost looked at it like we're a team. Yeah. And so the reason I say that is because like when I was leaving Minnesota, that was like the hardest thing to me because I knew that we had like, we, we had the nucleus to keep going for many, many years. Everybody knew it, but like, I just being the backup point guard there, I didn't really feel like a backup. I felt like I was a part of the nucleus. So you end up going to the dream and, uh, your first year there, fantastic season started all 34 games, double digits in 13 of them, uh, were on a run until injury sort of made it tough to get past a really good mystics team. Uh, I remember talking to Laisha Clarendon about being on the dream and how all of you on that team until this year really didn't know Kelly Leffler as anything other than a part owner who would invite you over to her house and seemed like someone just really loved basketball. So before we get into anything beyond that, take me through sort of that first season and, you know, did it end up feeling okay to have moved away from that Lynx team that you felt so connected to? Yeah, you know, everybody pretty much thought that I had really lost my mind. You know, when I decided, when I said I was leaving Minnesota um, to go to Atlanta, who Minnesota, as in that 2017 season, we won a championship. And then I said, okay, I'm leaving and I'm going to the team that was last place. Uh, a lot of people were like, you're tripping. Um, <laughs> my thought process was I wanted to live in my own house. So with the WNBA, I don't know if a lot of people know, but we play overseas every year. So basically I'm in America for six months and then I'm overseas for six months. And in those six months that I'm actually in America, I'm, at, I'm not even in my house I'm in a house that the team provides for us. And I kind of just got tired of all of that, you know, and I and I wanted to be in my own home. I live here in, in Atlanta. And so I'm like, they got a new coach and a Nikki Collin. And so I was like, OK, this is a fresh start, a new coach, a new uh, a new team for me. Let's do it. And so I, I came here to Atlanta, also two for TV and different things of that nature. 
And a lot of people, I didn't know how we were going to be basketball wise, honestly. Like, I'd be lying if I said that I thought we were going to have the season we had. Every athlete hopes we have that season. And boy, we were killing it. Like, we we stunk in the beginning. And then we hit this crazy run uh, that you're talking about. And we won like a lot of our last games. And we ended up being the number two seed entering the playoffs. And everybody were like, what? Um, and then, like you said, the injury bug kind of just demolished us. And we lost our, our main superstar in Angel McCautry. And then it was just a trickle effect. But Atlanta, Atlanta's been good to me. Um, and yeah, I know you talked about Loeffler and I didn't even, when I came here, the owner wasn't a part of my decision making. I, I hope people understand that that's never a part of the decision making right. when you're talking about sports. Well, it can be, but only if that person is so far out in front and so involved in the everyday dealings of the team that everyone's aware of it. And none of us had heard of her or knew anything about her until very recently. Uh, when did you move to Atlanta? I moved to Atlanta three years into the league. So I say I've been here nine years now. So I've been here a while. That's what I mean. So I've had a house here for a long time and just never, lived never here. used it. Yeah. We're going to yeah. get into that. I was looking at the list of countries you've played in. It's, it's lengthy. Um, <laughs> so you're with the dream and, and you're still with the dream and you decide to sit out this year. Um, now before any of, of the pandemic and George Floyd and the, the civil unrest that caused many to decide to opt out, um, you were already on top of these issues, even uh, in the midst of being a full, full year round athlete. You started the Renee Montgomery Foundation in 2019. What was it about last year that inspired you to get that going? I kind of always wanted to do it. And as I talked about, I was doing a full year calendar of basketball. And last year is the the first year that I had off where I don't I don't play overseas anymore. So I had that time to actually be in America and do things I wanted to do. It's something I've been wanting to do. And, and my foundation, just being an athlete and people, honestly, we're, we're forced to do a lot of community events. It's mandatory. We have a certain amount of appearances that we have to do. Um, so as I saw those different things, I saw like different ways that we should be doing it. And so I basically wanted to start a foundation just to do my community, the community work that I wanted to do, but do it my way. So that that was my thought process uh, in 2019. And then 2020 hit and I was ready to roll. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Why, when you made the decision months ago uh, to sit out, what was the ultimate deciding factor for you in, in the, you know, going to the wobble and being able to talk about these issues using the platform of basketball was not the choice for you. And you'd rather be outside uh, doing the work. Yeah, my heart wasn't in it, you know, and then when people talk about sports, if people watch me play, if I say my heart wasn't in it, then I can't play because like I'm a passionate player. I'm screaming, yelling all the time, getting people hyped because I'm hyped. Like I just enjoy it that much. And not that I don't enjoy basketball any less, but like my heart was here. My heart was in the community. My heart was in what's going on right now. So I just kept on thinking about like trying to, I was trying to even envision myself being there and I just never saw it. Like I just couldn't see myself doing it. Um, and that's just because I just saw myself doing different things. And I saw myself like sitting out and bringing attention to what's going on as if like, do, do, do people see what's going on? You were teammates with Maya Moore, as I mentioned, in college, and obviously she is the most noteworthy and most um, high-profile athlete of either gender, of any gender, uh, gender's not binary, uh, to sit out and decide to um, bring attention to a case that she was really passionate about. Do you think that had any influence on you? You know, it's interesting because I... Like, I didn't know enough details about what Mama was doing. All I knew was that I'm so impressed with her. And so when when I saw what she was doing and I saw, you know, the effort she took, you know, she sat out for it, too. And to me, when she sat out, I didn't understand why she did. I'm like, Mama, girl, I was kind of what people were kind of saying to me, like, why can't you do both? Like, I get it. Why can't you do both? And then when when it when it hit me, I was like. Uh, I see why you can't do both. Like, you know, I got, so I, I started to understand her move more when it started to happen to me. So, you know, not to get all Oprah, Barbara Walters on you, <laughs> but um, what emotions were you actually feeling when you say that? Cause, cause I have felt both ways about Maya. I have felt the, this is, this is the stance to take when something really matters. And I've also thought, I don't know if it serves you to sacrifice this thing that you have a very short window in, in athletics. Um, can't you do both? So for you to have felt that way and then feel the difference between, you know, that approach and then it's not, it's not possible to do both. I can't allow myself to play. What, what was the big emotional shift there? That the emotional shift was that, wow, this is really happening. Like, on TV in broad daylight and a cop knew he was being recorded. I think it was the arrogance of it. Like the arrogance of 
that cops really probably feel like they could do this and get away with it. I think that the arrogance of people not assuming that we're not going to get justice, you know, the arrogance of America, like, you know, I think that all of that, I was just pretty shocked. Like, I, I really thought that the George Floyd situa situation was going to go completely different in a sense of like, I, I just, when I, before I saw the video, I couldn't believe the video. And when I saw the video, I really couldn't believe the video. So I think that that, that emotion was just like, it, it was, I was pretty surprised. And, and for me, it made me more like angry in a sense of like, yeah, I'm about to do something. Like, I don't know what it is, but yeah, I'm about to do something. So I was like mad and wanted to take action. Now they have the benefit of hindsight. You've seen the entire wobble season happen and, and the storm get the championship. You watch your team from afar. Um, is there any part of you that, that feels like you regret the decision? Is there any part of you that looks back and, and feels any differently about the choice? Yeah, no, I don't. I definitely don't regret the situation, and that's also like a, a, a gratitude to the the, the players in the bu the wobble, and also the WNBPA, the commissioner. You know, like I felt very connected, and so for me, I don't. I didn't necessarily feel like I was disconnected from the league at all. If nothing else, you know, NBA TV giving me a whole show, WNBA Weekly, to con to just talk about the WNBA every single week. I was interviewing two players a week. You know, the commissioner was one of the people I was talking to. So for me, I don't, I think that void was filled by just me sheer being connected. Like I felt connected when something was happening. People were asking me like, yep, I knew it. I knew they was going to wear them shirts today. Yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. I felt like I was a part of it. Yeah. Uh, talk about watching the dream. And I, I keep saying Kelly Loeffler. Is it Loeffler? I, I can never tell. I'm, I make it up on, on the fly, but um, <laughs> that's on you. Whatever I you think it's it. Loeffler, but um. It's spelled Loeffler, but I think it's Loeffler, but I don't know. Either way, Kelly L., uh, the co-owner of The Dream, so much conversation around her running for office and in in being a politician who simultaneously is a co-owner in a league that is very outwardly progressive and make no bones about that. In fact, the WNBA, I believe last year was the first year that they tied ticket sales and investment in the league to actually causes that the league wanted to be supportive of. Yep. Um, with no apologies and an embrace of a very LGBTQ plus fan base, a very uh, a fan base full of people of color and a fan base and players who are very progressive, more so than any other sport by far. Um, so for her to be a co-owner and be a part of that while simultaneously running on a platform that outwardly and, and, and directly attacks Black Lives Matter as both a movement and an idea, which I think matters, um, while that's on the courts, what did that mean for you? And what conversations were you having with your teammates who were trying to figure out how to not be a part of, you know, essentially sometimes she would use them and their disagreements with her as, as a political ploy. Yeah. See, that's the thing, you know, uh, the players on the team, they felt like they wanted to make a statement to say that, you know, they disagree with everything she's saying. And also they didn't want to, give too much attention to it because as we know in politics there's no no bad news all news mm -hmm. is good news all publication is good publication so you see all the time where different politicians will do different stunts or different things just to have their name in the press you know and so it was that fine line of you know how much are we going to talk about kelly l or how much are we not going to talk about her you know and so i it was it was tough because when when people attack if you're attacking that black lives, the idea of black lives, well, we're black, you know, like I'm black. So a lot of people felt attacked and, and it was a way of like, how do we go about it? So they actually reached out to me and we got on a zoom call and I was just asking players like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do something drastic? Do you want to, because I think that we should probably just take it step by step. You make a statement first. And then if you still feel a certain way you escalate, you know, and and I think the main understanding was that, all right, we're going to make a statement. We're going to say we reject your letter that you sent to the commissioner. And then we're just going to go play basketball and ignore it, basically. Mm -hmm. And we're going to go on about our business. But it's difficult because as players in a climate like this, you don't want to be the player that's playing for the owner that's not not with the movement. You know, you got the, you got different owners who are bending over backwards to support the movement. You have the NBA, a whole new game slogan. The WNBA is dedicating the whole season to social justice, the Breonna Taylor on the back of the jerseys. And then there's one odd team out. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to be that odd team out where all we talk about with the Atlanta Dream is is our owner. But, you know, Atlanta Dream has players on the on the league that are executive committee members. And, and we're not even talking about it. But 
it's difficult, you know, and, and politics it's politics. Right? Yeah. Yeah. She just threw up her hands since this is an audio <laughs> medium. I think that's oh, yeah. what we all do when we say it's politics. Ah. Um, but interestingly though, and there was a great ESPN daily about this, um, about the idea of if we don't want to be spun into this political web and we don't want to be turned into pawns for her campaign, how do we still react in a way that empowers without um, buying into to her her you know BS I should say, and the the vote Warnock shirts were were the answer to that. Were you involved in that decision making, or can you take us behind the scenes on that? Because that was a bold move. I mean, like, that was to be like yeah. you're showing up at your game wearing shirts, telling people to vote for your owner's opposition. Yeah, that was a big move. And, you know, Sue Bird actually contacted me about that. And she said, hey, since you're in Atlanta, we feel like this will be very relevant to you. I want you to know what we're going, what we're doing. And then she she proceeded to tell me how, you know, they interviewed him. A lot of people didn't even know that the back that went into it. They, they didn't just wear the sh- They didn't just say, hey, let's print up some shirts and wear it. Yeah. They actually interviewed him on multiple occasions, talked to other people that know him, talked to advisors about him before they wore the shirts. And the reason I say that is because everything that the, the WNBA had been doing, these were calculated moves. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a social justice committee dedicated to specifically addressing anything that came up at the time, say her name campaign, different things. So they did their homework and they let me know. And, and the reason that's important is because you're right. That's a solution to, all right, we're not going to address this topic, but Hey, here's this. Yeah. Here's, here's a way to sort of, create change instead of just talking about it. Um, so, you know, you, you said you wanted to set out in part because you couldn't do both. Um, talk about what you've done the last few months and how you've made good on that decision to not play and how you've made use of those months so that it wouldn't feel like you sat out without something to show for it. Yeah. So when I sat out, you know, that was the show, you know, my, me sitting out was as you know, people saw it happen later in the season when the NBA boycotted the game, that's the act, you know, like the act is I'm boycotting because I want you to see what's going on. So when people start to ask me, well, why are you sitting out? Perfect. I'm glad you asked. There's a (laughs) lot going on right now. We need to talk about it, but that that's the point. So whenever I first opted out, everyone was asking me like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I was like, Oh, Wow, I don't know. I thought me opting out was the act. <laughs> but since everybody's asking, I'll get back to you guys. Like, I think I, you were one of the people I talked to in the beginning. Yeah. And I was like, I don't have a clue. Um, so, <laughs> then, so then once I realized, okay, so I probably do need to do more than just uh, sitting out, I started to think, well, what do I want to do? And then as we talked about education is just a part of my, my, fa- my foundation. So I thought, all right, we need to stick in something educational, but what's an educational way now? So I got to HBCUs because I kept on thinking like, no, we don't have answers like police brutality, health system, prison system. We don't have answers right now, but those all tear down the black community. Those all tear down the black and brown color community. And so for for me, what's a way to build them up? And I thought, all right, HBCUs, let's let's start there. And so that's how I got to the last yard. And the last yard is basically giving I'm a point guard. So giving assist to HBCUs when it involves tech, esports, all these different coding, all these different spaces that the black community and the brown community are not in. We need to start getting in them because, as we know, in this digital age, that's where everything's going to. Mm-hmm. And that's not even something that we thrive in or we even are interested in from start to finish. So for, for me, I just want to assist. And then I have um, a campaign. Remember the third. And it's an educational campaign. It's talking to people, you know, like a lot of people are scared of the mail system. Well, order your absentee ballot, get it and put it in a drop box. You know, a lot of people don't know that there's just different ways. And now I know that a lot of the drop boxes are being taken. I understand Mm -hmm. now different things are going on. I get that. But I just want people to know all their options, because if you are scared of mailing it in, that's not a reason not to vote. Like get a drop box, find a drop box. So remember the third is just like we got to educate people and get that passion move to the polls. Yeah, remember the 3rd of November is educational about the voting system. The Last Yard uh, helps provide uh, opportunities and and assists to HBCUs. And then you have Moments Equal Momentum, which is another sort of faction of your foundation. Talk about that. Yeah, so Moments Equal Momentum in my tweet, a lot of people kept on asking about that. It was just yeah, the one where you announced that you were sitting up. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, announced it through Twitter. I didn't really think it was that big of a deal, honestly. 
WNBA just in media has never been considered that big of a deal, you know? So I didn't set up a press conference or anything because I didn't really think a lot of people, because I thought people would be like, yeah, who cares? And then I sent out the tweet and I thought, and I saw that a lot of people did care. And so in that tweet, it literally had the words, I believe that moments equal momentum and I want to keep this moment going. Um, and people latched on to it. So that's what I branded all the initiatives that birthed through this moment as like, it's all under the moments equal momentum umbrella. And so under that, that's how the last yard started. And that's how remember the third started, but it all, it all, the, the initial start point is from moments equal momentum and me just opting out and creating that moment and just kept it going. So one of the things that I've seen you doing a lot of, and to the, to the question from before of, you know, how have you spent the last couple of months is just finding that platform that maybe you didn't realize existed, the interest from people and why you sat out and then using your voice and impressing the hell out of people until you get invited to more things. So you mentioned, uh, the, the weekly show on NBA TV, the athletes after Hours show on TMZ, you did a panel for ad week, a panel for USC, you did all sorts of TV stuff. So, um, it feels like a whirlwind. It feels like you're everywhere and everyone's starting to, you know, uh, uh, learn the magic of Renee Montgomery. So what of those things kind of has stood out to you that you've done? Well, the first thing that stood out is that I opted out and I didn't have a job. So, you know, you just listed all that stuff. All that stuff happened, like, I would say three weeks after I opted out, like I started to get things that were actually paid jobs. Like, you know, like I was doing a lot of interviews in the beginning, but when I opted out, I literally opted out of my job without a job. So yeah, I was, mm -hmm. I was really tripping probably. But, <laughs> but to, to that point, you know, they say fortune favors the bold and it was really crazy because I've always, I went to school for, for communicate. I'm a communications major. So I went to school for TV. That's always been the plan. I've been trying to get in TV for a while. And then when I opt out for something completely unrelated, here comes the TV. So that's just like, wow how life works, you know, and it's the craziest thing. But I would say for me, and we, you didn't even mention any of those, but what really bursts for me is, is, is talking to, to, to students. Like I talk to a, the stuff that people don't really see. I talk to a lot of students a lot of times and just hearing how they think of me and hearing like, they think I have all the answers and I'll be like, Whoa, no, I don't. Like I let them know right off top. Like I don't have probably any of the answers. Like mm -hmm. I'm just pretty much bold like that that's what you can take away like I'm bold but I would say well, the best thing I got yeah. from this is being is, is talking to, to to people yeah you in another podcast you actually said you don't have to have all the answers you just have to make the move and then start to figure it out um and there is a lot of paralysis because of perfection right this idea of if I don't know exactly what to do I can't do anything and that really prevents people from like you uh what is it leap and a leap of faith there's another saying that I should have memorized. It's like leap and a door will appear, but that doesn't make sense because why would a door oh, wow. appear when you leap? I never heard that one, Sarah. You're killing it with these yeah. new things. Yeah, but none of them are right. They're all incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like overdue because it's not. It's Keep right. trying. I like new things. <laughs> leap and the net will appear. That makes a Leap lot more sense. And the net will that appear. Makes a I lot like more sense that. Than a door appearing. I think yes. when one door closes, another opens. Yes, or so praise them in the hallway for the Christian people. Yeah, yeah. I just I yeah. didn't have a job, but I was praising them in the hallway. So yeah. yeah, so it was a combination. You left, and then a door appeared, and a net. Yes. So great for you. <laughs> okay, the door. Too. You want to keep the door. <laughs> um, but one thing that's stood out in those opportunities that you got is um, the way that you speak about the issues. And this is something I think we're all striving to better understand because now that there's a platform for athletes, for people like me who had essentially three or four months of three hours of radio every night without sports, where I was allowed to and given the space to talk about social issues and civil unrest that really mattered to me. But how do you talk about it in a way that actually makes people listen instead of the platitudes um, that we hear about and that some companies or, or leagues are going with like end racism or it takes us all like those are nice oh, things, wow. right? But I just said just the specific two NFL ones. I wasn't even trying to throw shade just at them, oh but those are the first two that I thought of. And it, again, oh, wow. there's no issues with end racism or it takes us all. Those are true, but they are so wide ranging and nonspecific that it's very easy for everyone to attach to them. And then when you dig down to very specific issues, that's where the conflict lies. But until those policies change and until those minds change about the specifics that are really 
the things that cause the problems, we don't advance at all because we've been saying end racism for the entirety, almost not entirety right. of our country. There were, there were times when it wasn't a goal, but we've been saying that and we haven't been achieving it through our actual practices. And so I've really, I've liked your approach. And so I, I wonder when you're thinking about you, the way you express yourself on these things and the opportunities you have and the platforms, what is your approach to like cutting through those platitudes and those big picture ideas and the idealism behind this to actually changing people's behaviors, changing policy, and to drawing attention to the specifics of what perpetuates these problems? Yeah, I would say my main goal every time I talk is like inclusivity. You know, a lot of times when people talk, it's a us versus them or it's a they and 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 the pronouns matter in a sense of yeah, as a country, we got to do better. That's what, you know, I always like, instead of saying white people in America need to do better when it comes to black people in America, I say as a country, we got to do better because we're a part of this country too. So I always try to use inclusive words or inclusive ideas or inclusive thoughts. Even when I talk about race, I start to talk about gender inequalities as well. It's all the same, especially when we're talking about why is the WNBA player so apt to be so aggressive and at the forefront? Uh, yeah, because we're, a lot of us are black women. And in America, that means something that means that we're probably used to being discriminated against. So I also connected to now we're not just talking about race, but I know a lot of women understand what I mean when we see Formula One not let one of their racers be a racer because you can't get pregnant for three years. So now now she has to decide between being a Formula One racer or, or having a baby, you know, and that's the same thing for Allison Felix, who Nike dropped her when she had a when she got pregnant. These are these are normal things. There's a lot of women in the corporate space. They thought they were on the fast track. They get pregnant. It stops. So I, what I try to do is include problems that we're having in our community, the same problems that we're having in the, the women community, because there's problems that need to be fixed. So I would say every time I talk, it's inclusivity. Like, let's just get it all cleaned up right now, America, while we're under construction right now. We right. got a lot going on. Let's just clean it all up. And that's one of the things that came up so often in the conversations about whether the NBA should finish their season, whether the WNBA should play, was this idea of distracting from this moment in time that if we didn't grasp it and take advantage of might be lost again like it has so many other times in the past. And I think one nice thing to see throughout this is that it has felt like continuing education instead of starting over again. This time when it happened with George Floyd, instead of forgetting all the times in recent years that we've had these conversations, there was less patience and less acceptance of white people saying, well, hold on, let me understand this. It was, no, 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 we've been over this a million times. Pick up a book and read, watch Ava DuVernay's 13th, exactly. watch these things and actually understand the, the systemic ways that this is perpetuated instead of starting fresh again with the, I'm not racist, so I'm not the problem bullshit. Um, but unfortunately, so much <laughs> of the actual information- Sarah, that is, I love you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's exhausting. It really is. I can't imagine what it's like for you, but um, it's, you know, it's taking the the argument you just said about women that we've had a billion times, like running our head against a wall and then amplifying it because it actually affects more of your rights and, and equality and more of your safety, even more so than women in a lot of cases, um, and doubly so for black women. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that I've really respected about specifically the WNBA and the NBA is that in those moments that they've been given time to talk, they're not just saying empty things. They're bringing out numbers and facts and specifics. Yeah. And so much of that, unfortunately, a lot of people who don't want to learn and change are not going to. But for those who are in the middle or maybe don't understand how they're contributing to the problem, actually seeing the errors in the prison system and the ways in which there's a pipeline from, you know, the black and brown communities to those spaces and they don't actually benefit exactly. America. They benefit privatized prisons and the yeah. money making and how it doesn't exist anywhere else and all these mighty dollar. All it this all comes stuff. back to the dollar. It all comes back together. And so many of us are of a, a, a privilege enough to not have to understand it and understand what it does to other communities. Um, so it's been really impressive to see that. One of the things you're also doing in addition to the all the other shows and everything else is uh, the Gen Z and me show. It's at Gen Z and me on Instagram. You're coming back at the at end Gen of this month at Gen Z and me TV on Instagram is the handle. Um, and it's with uh, some kiddos. Tell me about it. Yes. Oh, it's like, it's my baby. Um, in a sense of it actually birthed through the pandemic. So I started to just check on my, my son. He's 13 year old. He's a 13 year old. And then my niece, she's a, I think she's 14 or 15, but she's going into her freshman year in high school. So I just started to ask them, like, what do they think about how the adults are just really blowing it right now? Like, you know, I just had to ask, like, what are the kids thinking? Because we think that they're not paying attention, but 
they actually are. So I started just having these weekly calls with them and just talking to them. And then I'm like, yo, this is good. And so I started <laughs> to just turn it into, let me just film you guys and see how it happens. And so we did three episodes and we did them on YouTube and basically like we got numbers uh, uninterrupted started to retweet us because awesome. typically it's not a, a kid's talk show is not the most normal thing you see. And especially to two brown kids talking about social causes, but also talking about Fortnite and also <laughs> doing, you know, different things. And so it almost is like an educational show that I'm educating them. They don't really care that, but I'm <laughs> going to educate them along the way. Uh, but it's just interesting to see what kids are thinking. So yeah, Gen Z and me is, is it's like my, I call it my baby because I like talking to kids and I like talking about, about these topics and it's like a way to do it both in a light manner. So, so yeah, that, it, it's been fun. Awesome. At Gen Z and me TV on Instagram. I didn't realize you had a 13 year old son. Uh, was there a moment when you weren't playing basketball? Is this through marriage? Where does this, yeah. where does this kid arrive on the picture? Yeah. So, so my fiance, she, I was blessed with, I was blessed into him. I, I okay. call it. I, was gonna say, I don't remember you ever fiance. missing. No, if I did that, uh, then like, I wow. really told you. <laughs> well, we, we just left that out. It was somewhere between those trades. It was that weird no, yeah. salmonella time. <laughs> no, he, I, I, um, it's, it's a blessing. So I, I it's through a relationship. So I, he's my 13 year old. And so that's why it's different for me. So to put it in perspective, I didn't always have this 13 year old. So people asking too, what changed I got into a relationship and now I have this 13 year old son that I'm looking over. So yeah, I feel way more protective when I see black men being killed yeah. by the police because now I have a son. So if people are asking too, what shifted my mind, that was a big factor, like a huge factor because I look at him every day now and I'm like, God, he's so innocent. And, and, in three years he's going to be driving, which right. means in three years he could be pulled over. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much conversation about that, that age and that moment at which um, young black boys stop being cute and start being seen as a threat. Terrifying. And that moment for parents. Um, so a fiance, you said. Yes, a fiance. So do we have wedding plans? Yeah. Well, hello, coronavirus. I know. That's <laughs> why I'm interested in how, I mean, I have so many friends that have done the like delay oh, yeah. and then delay again and then. Yeah. Oh, a COVID friendly weddings. I've heard uh, COVID that seems tough to pull off. Yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. I'm not interested in doing, I'm not interested. I'm going in big the, or I'm waiting. That's how I would have operated that, yeah. that. And so we are the same then. So yeah. So basically like it's not, to me, it's not that big of a deal anyway. Um, where it's not like we're not going to be together because we didn't have a wedding. So right. for me, it's, it, it's, we're going to just see what happens, but we don't want to, we don't necessarily want to have to to go out and have people wearing masks at an actual wedding and different right. things. is just, I don't feel like it right. would be cool. So it's on hold for now. We'll, we'll hold on off hold. on the, on the, we're not on hold. The wedding's on the hold. wedding is on hold. That's that right. That's right. We don't want, I don't want to be on my own TMZ show. Talking about <laughs> <Renee>. <laughs> we heard on Sarah's face. Yeah, no, no, no. You guys are good. How did you meet? <laughs> Oh, well, it's kind of a funny story. Now, um, we actually met, she was singing at the Hawks game and I just so happened to be sitting courtside. So random. Oh. Um, I know. Luck, slipped of the digits. How do we make that introduction? I know this is, oh, Sarah, this is hilarious. Oh, so. <laughs> oh, I we finally actually, made Renee uncomfortable. I've figured out the topic <laughs> where she turns giggly and un, and not at all poised. Yes. I'm still in the honeymoon phase. If <laughs> you guys right, tell, right. I'm like in love, love. Um, so I was late to the game. Me and Angel McCossie were going to a Hawks game. Uh, and so we were sitting courtside. I missed when she actually sang the national anthem for the Hawks. But as luck may have it, as I was talking to Darius Slay, that's how I met him too, people wonder. I was sitting courtside with him and Angel McCotry, and I look over and I tell Angel at the time, I was like, oh, snap, I think I just saw my wife. <laughs> and she was like, oh my gosh, calm down. Okay, she's pretty, but calm yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, let's go talk to her. So that's literally how it happened. Like I saw, and, and by the way, I would like to add that she was talking to like some other a, like they were real A-listers. I'm not A-list. She was talking to real celebrities and it was like Owen Wilson and different people like telling her, I guess she did a good job. I didn't see it. So when I walked up to her, she was just like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, thank you for what? Like, and she was just like, oh, I thought you were talking about me singing. I'm like, oh, you're a singer. And that's literally how the conversation started. But yeah, so. So you didn't even know she had sung. You just saw her and thought she was hot. Yeah, I saw her sitting courtside down the way, and I'm like, oh "That's amazing." Yeah. <laughs> also, I just love as someone who's uh, of an age where I actually remember when people would hit on each other in bars by in walking up to people and saying that 
hi, this is my name. I find you attractive. Like let's, that was always me too. Like I had no fear. It was just like, whatever, let's go see what's up. And now no one knows how to engage in conversation anymore. I literally, my friends will be like, I don't know. I'll be like, I'll just going to go Excuse me. Are you married? I might, it's not for me. I'm married, but you know, I just want to (laughs) get what's going on with you before I send my friend over. No. Okay. Okay. Well, you're very cute. We yeah. could be best friends after I mean, this year because that obviously. is literally me. Like I, my friends are those people, and I'm, and like, I'm like, "What's what wrong with you? Just about? go! Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to say no. Gonna say I no. Even, and that's what listen, life's about. So while you started that, I don't know if you guys know that how it started, how it's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. going around on the internet. So yeah. yeah, she she's actually about to post it because oh, even then, wait. yeah, even then. Well, here's the spoiler alert: she hasn't posted it, but. Even then, so when she DM'd me and posted the photo from the game, like this game was a blast and I'm one of the swipes of all the celebrity or whatever she's okay. talking to, uh-huh. I told her, you better get out of my DMs or I'm really going to start flirting. So okay. that's our, that's See, our, yeah, like, you shoot your shot. Shoot, so, uh, listen, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. I'm shooting them all. So I, I shot it and it worked. For so real. let me ask you a question <laughs> because I'm fascinated by this too, because I don't, I don't give a F as you can tell, but I, I walk up to most men before I was married, of course. And I'm, I presume based on just general vibes that they're straight. And if they're not, then, you know, I'm going to find out they're going to tell me hopefully, um, or, or buy or something that would be interested in me. Um, you know, just someone with a brain, (laughs) someone with a brain, I suppose. Um, and then, and then, so, so when you see her across the the way, are are you already getting some sort of like, is your gaydar on? Is there something happening that you're like, I'm getting, I already know. Or were you like, let me go shoot my shot and find out. So here's the thing, um, because I don't want because, you know, there's there's this nuance that a lot of straight people think that every person, if you like the same sex, they think you like them. It's like if you (laughs) like girls, every girl thinks that you must like me. I'm a girl like, you know, so that's actually not the case. So whenever (laughs) whenever I see someone, if I find them attractive, then I'm just going to go speak. Yeah, like it is. And and I don't whether there's no there's no gaydar or not. It's just like if I think you're attractive, I'm going to go say hello. So even when I was trying to talk to her, you know, I was just like, let me just try to be as funny as possible. I'm going to have a couple jokes on deck. Right. And then when she when she DM'd me, that's when I'm like, oh, you better get out of here. I'm going to start flirting. Like, that's, that's when a good I'm sign like, to be like, OK, what's her reaction to this? Let me yes. See. OK. All right. So I that's like, like that. the temperature check. Yeah, the so context then I just do a, cues. Yeah, yeah. And then she just kept on DMing me. So yeah. I'm like, all right, just let me yeah. just if we're going to do this, drop your right. number because I don't check it enough. You know, that line everyone uses. Very we all check good. Social- yeah. Yeah, we I don't, don't check social media. I don't media check Instagram enough, so text me. Yeah, right. You're on it like every yeah, second. She's like, okay, I've seen that you watch every story I put up. Um, <laughs> first view. You know that first person yeah. that's there every time? Yeah, every time. Um, it is funny, though, because I've, I'm, I'm <laughs> prepping for this Abby Wombat Glennon Doyle panel for the SVNW Summit. Okay. And I keep like, I'm, like, reading back through the book, and I'm thinking to myself, like, how many women are reading this right now and thinking to themselves, like, man, I'm not looking for an Adam. I'm looking for an Abby. What have I been doing this whole time? Because the way Glennon talks about, like, she walked into the room and it was just like the universe said, there she is. So, you yeah. know, maybe yeah, sometimes. Because, oh, let me add. the dice Serena just Grace, in case, you know? Yeah, because Serena, that's my fiance. She had never been with a woman before. Uh, exactly so my point. Just So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You shoot your shot. And then maybe the person's like, oh, shoot, this is what I was looking for all along. And I had no idea. That's you never know. Sexuality is not binary either. That's a spectrum for sure. Uh, Serena Grace, by the way, if people want to. Oh, people can suck it <laughs> is what I have to say about Girl, I love you. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you, if you still don't think that sexuality can be a sliding scale instead of binary, then you should talk to more people that are different from you. Or even just conversations, ask conversations yourself, matter. Ask yourself, you know, how, just how against that idea are you? Or there's sometimes where you're like, oh, I can see it. You know, like whenever I watch Sue Bird play, I'm like, win, ah, I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I actually think it's completely different for men and women. There's a lot of women that are like, oh, yeah, girl. Right. I, well, I think the older women get deal. to, the more they're like, oh, so not having to deal with men at all? I could see yeah. that. I could see that working yeah. out. And you know, my fiance says it all the time. Like, she was like, if I knew women were this understanding, I would have probably been dating them a long time ago. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Down. Like, not all of us. Just easy, me. No, no need to find out if all women are like this. <laughs> Right. I'm good. <laughs> um, well, that's exciting, and I love that ambitious crossover of uh, of hey, athlete, baby. athlete, and artist. That's great. That's so great. Um, really quickly, because we got to go. But I wanted to ask if <laughs> if there's one standout moment 
um, because you played in Lithuania, Israel, Russia, Australia, and Poland. I don't know if I forgot any countries, but that's oh, wild. Yeah, and how cool. Hungary. Oh my gosh, like so much fun travel, really interesting. And I know that I've read stories certainly where people have felt really isolated, whether language or food or anything else. Um, is there a wild and crazy story from any of those places that stands out? Oh gosh, there's so many, it's so difficult. Um, I'll just say not even a crazy story, but uh, a dope story is I took my, I brought my family to Israel because my family's very religious, like born and raised in the pews. And so we kind of saw everything that happened in the Bible. We like went there in real life. So we were floating in the Dead Sea, which you can actually do that. That's yeah. a real thing. It's uh -huh. not a myth. Um, yeah. Some people thought it was a myth. <laughs> Google it. But um, it's a real thing. And so we kind of just hit those spots that you read about all the time in the Bible. So for me, that was one of the dope stories because it was like the Bible stories coming to life. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, all right. Before we let you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does, but nobody expects. It's the Spanish Inquisition. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Question number one. What's your Desert Island album? You can only have one. And if you would insult your fiance by not saying her, I will give you the out of saying an album that is not by your fiance. My baby is coming out with one soon. She hasn't came out with one yet. So that's hey, what I'm, I'm yeah. in the clear. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you, Sarah. You get me. Um, <laughs> the album I would go with, let's say... This is very difficult because now I'm... Uh, it'd have to be Drake. Drake thank me later is that what it's called let's mm. go with one of the drake's old stuff because okay. drake is like he has any mood so if i'm sad there's going to be a sad song where he's singing sad then he's going to turn up so drake will give me whatever i need that is a good one on an, on an island to have a variety uh number two what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success uh communication that's a good one number three what would you consider your biggest failure not asking for help hmm all the time or in, like in general or at a specific moment? In general. Like yeah. in general, I probably could have done so much more and been so much like just ask for help. That is such a great one. And especially in the workplace, a lot of people are afraid of doing that. And then they end up yeah. getting the information they need to, to thrive even more. Uh, number four, have you ever been in a fist fight? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Like many times, UConn. Oh, no, I got one. I got one at UConn. It actually is. I think it's supposed to be a secret. So, but I did. <laughs> Why was it a secret? Did you get arrested? Oh, it was a whole big mess. Um, we won, so you can assume that when you win, it becomes a problem. So, right. that's why it was a problem because we won. You won the fight. We won the fight. So usually the loser is the one that wants to press charges or do different things. Like right. I was, you know, yeah. Right. So. Did you take your earrings off in that old cliche move? I did not. I just got right to it. Okay, good. <laughs> I didn't have time to prepare. Uh, number five, if you could switch lives with anyone for one day, who would it be? Ooh, Michelle Obama. It's a really good one. Number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh, gosh. I think the most embarrassed I ever, probably after the fight. <laughs> <laughs> Were you fighting over something good or no? I was fighting for one of my teammates. So again, okay. that's the, yeah. Best. So I mean, my teammates, it made me like dope to my teammates, you know, but it was still embarrassing when people were talking about it afterwards. Yeah. Like they were calling me like Layla Lee on campus. And that was embarrassing to me. Um, Cause that's just not me. Not like, you know, I'm not the fighting. Yeah. Right, so right, yeah, right. that was embarrassing. Uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Um, stubbornness. Hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah. That's a tough one. I have it's problems. It's very with that tough. Too. I have control issues. Like you know. I like to like get it yeah. right. I know that I can get it right if I do it. So right. I'd be wanting to do everything and I need to have like delegate, delegate. Yeah, we are gonna be best friends unless we're both <laughs> too controlling of our friendship <laughs> and too stubborn about what our friendship's gonna look like, and then we might be in trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> number eight, if you could be commissioner of life for a day, what one rule would you enforce that all of society would have to adhere to? Oh my goodness. Um, everybody has to do it no matter what. I would say this is very interesting. There's a hundred things that I would want everybody to do, but if everybody has to have, take accountability for what they say to humans, whether it's on the internet or in person. Ooh, that is a good one. 
<laughs> yeah, so bot, say it, you gotta own it. have to take accountability <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying see the bots don't even get a say so they yeah. wouldn't even get a say okay, in my good. new world order right, like, yeah. it wouldn't exist um number nine what's the most scared you've ever been uh the most scared i've ever been was when i got into a, a car accident mm -hmm. long time ago yeah a pretty i'll say five years ago and i was just scared because first of all it's a car accident and then it was um like it was, I was scared about the other people and making sure they were okay. So just that yeah. moment of like, I hope I didn't hurt anyone. For sure. Uh, number 10, what three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? I like her. Oh, I like that. Everyone always goes like kind and um, considerate. Just that's <laughs> I like her. That's a good one. Yeah. Just, oh, I, I just, sometimes you might not agree with me, but like people have told me before, like, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I like you. So it's cool. Whatever. So. That is a very good personality trait to have, especially if you're pushing for people to think hard about things. It's the Ruth yeah. Bader Ginsburg, right? Fight for the things you care about, but do it in a way that makes people want to fight with you. That's exactly. A, I think, I think I got that one right. I'm <laughs> 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 the only one. I'm going to look it up later and be real disappointed if I didn't get that one right. Um, no, I remember that one. I, that's right. For real. Like that one yeah. rang a bell in my mind. All right. Good, good. Um, finally, who should I have on this podcast? Who's someone interesting and great I should talk to? Okay. Other than Serena Grace. Um, she hasn't Obviously. blown up yet. So when she, when she okay, blows up, yep. circle back. Um, let me think. Who should you, because I like somebody that needs, like, because you are a good situation. People can actually say whatever they want. Like you're, you're cussing and you're saying, you're speaking yeah. your mind. Yeah. Um, Ooh, -wee. this is difficult because I feel like you probably already have these. Like, I'm probably saying people that you probably would Never already know. have, like throw them out there. Have you had Lachina Robinson on your podcast? You know what? I haven't. I should have her. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's fantastic. I, her coverage during the, the finals especially was great. Loved her. Yeah, I would say her or Maria Taylor because, mm -hmm. you know, those that P word that you were trying to talk about yeah. before in the very beginning, they don't have those stories either. So about, I think that... line graph thing, yeah. Um, yeah. I had Maria. She was fantastic. Um, okay. Yeah. Was good so, I'll add it to the list for sure. Yeah. This she is fun, hosting, Yeah, she got her first hosting gig recently, and she's been doing it for a minute. Yeah, so yeah. she's been crushing it. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, well, yeah, I love you. Did okay, we just become <laughs> best friends? That's what she said. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me, and I fix it. This week, deep dish pizza haters. First of all, y'all are crazy, okay? It's a super thick slice of cheesy, tomato-y, crusty goodness, and it's heaven on earth. Secondly... Most of you spouting off about it have never had real deep dish Chicago pizza, and it shows. Melnati's, Eduardo's, the good stuff. You went to some strip mall shit in Arizona that called itself Chicago-style pizza, but was really a giant hunk of bread with toppings laying on top of it. And the fact that you've never had it and don't know what the hell you're talking about is clear based on your terrible, unfunny comparisons. It's a casserole. It's lasagna. It's tomato soup in a bread bowl. Why'd I say tomato? Tomato. One day if I snap, it's probably going to be about you making me say tomato because I'm so mad about this because lasagna has noodles, casseroles do not have a crisp, delicious, buttery crust, and tomato soup? Get the hell out of here. Okay. All right, I'm calming down. I feel good about what we accomplished today. All pizza is delicious. Deep dish pizza is especially delicious. And if for some reason you're a lunatic and you don't enjoy it, just shut the hell up about it and let everybody else enjoy it. Don't create new names for it. It's just pizza. It's thicker. Okay? Let's just all love one another and love pizza. Okay. There, I fixed it. Don't forget to go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe, rate, and review. That's what she said. Give me five stars, obviously. Leave some dilemmas in your reviews. And some of those questions from a couple weeks ago are going to be coming up hopefully next week too. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs>